Welcome back to Podcast 53 of 2022. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev, follow us the Ozbreakers, and follow us on social media slash the Ozbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by Circa Sports in Las Vegas. The biggest pro football overlays in Vegas are back with $12 million in guaranteed prizes only at Circa Sports. These contests have two ways to win and no Rake, the Circus Sports Millions, has quarterly payouts and 100% payback. Play Circus Survivor and select one team each week with no point spread, taking the big money with $12 million in guaranteed prizes. Enter in Vegas, play from anywhere, visit CircusSports.com. If you'd like to support the Ozbreakers and benefit, please visit theozbreakers.com, click shop, and become a member. Pick any of our winning handicappers to get their premium plays before the line moves. You can also support us on patreon.com. And if nothing else, please visit the Ozbreakers and become a free picks newsletter subscriber. My friends, we have a great show for you today. College football week zero is here. Can't wait to talk about that. We have two college football experts coming on in Ron A. Sports and the one and only Kyle Hunter from Kyle Hunter Picks. Can't wait to get into a little week zero, a little week one with those two amazing handicappers. Before we have those guys on, I want to remind you that we are going to be podcasting live from the Circa in Las Vegas at 1 p.m. Pacific time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Friday. Make sure you tune into the Odds Breakers Twitter channel or our YouTube channel to comment and to check out the amazing guests that we have coming for this show. Can't wait to get into some of our guests. They include Chris Farley, our very own Chris Farley, who killed it last year, fifth place in the Circa. He won $114,000 with Steve Norman. Very excited to have Chris on. We have Las Vegas Chris, who constantly places in these massive contests, won many of them before, maybe the best contest player that I've ever seen in Las Vegas. We will have Brady Cannon on, who has won some contests before from VEASAN. And we are also going to have Las Vegas Maddie on, as well as maybe a surprise guest or two for our 1 o'clock show. Make sure you guys check that out. Also want to let you guys know that we have a special discount for you to get $100 off any football package all the way up until September 1st. Make sure you go to theozbreakers.com, pick any of our packages, and get 100s off with a discount code of FOOTBALL22. That is FOOTBALL22, and you can still get the jump on some early bird discount opportunities here at theozbreakers.com for something that you might have already planned on doing anyway. That is FOOTBALL22 at theozbreakers.com, any college or NFL football package. One more reminder before we get to our great guests. If you are a free picks newsletter subscriber at theoddsbreakers.com, you can get them immediately via notification to your phone right when the plays are made by checking out the Telegram app. You can find it on the front page of theoddsbreakers.com or just do a search for the oddsbreakers on Telegram to get those plays immediately before the line moves. We always preach to get the line value and don't take late stale lines that have already moved past where we made those plays 
Very, very important in the sports betting world to be long-term successful by getting ahead of the line moves and getting line value. All right, without further ado, let's get into our first guest, Mr. Ron Ace Sports. Now I'm very excited to bring back Mr. Ron Ace Sports from the Ozbreakers as well as the Inside Blitz show. You can follow him on Twitter at Ron Ace Sports. Ron, football is finally back this week, my man. Week zero. How excited are you to get into the season? It's time. You know, when January comes around, I need a break. Uh, when March and April and May, I'm still not in the rhythm. July 4th hits and the bell rings and I start writing, writing, writing. And now I'm done writing and I'm ready to actually see people uh, live football games. And I uh, am very excited for the season to start. Yeah, I know. It's been long, especially when you um, bet things like baseball. Then you're like, wow, it's really long. <laughs> Summer, it's uh, Baseball is its own animal, but... Um, but now we're happy. Uh, football is, uh, the, the main sport that keeps, you know, probably my first love is betting football. I think that's probably the first sport I ever bet. And, uh, you know, it continues today. It's, uh, definitely the best sport that we have here in America, in my opinion, but you know, it's, it's I, I like other sports, but this is what everybody jumps in on the bandwagon and, uh, tries their luck for the first few weeks. And then it kind of, you know, <laughs> dissipates a little bit after that, but, uh, that's why you and I are here to try to help people along. And I think that's the important thing. So very excited for you to come on, Ron. So number one thing you say it all the time, um, betting is a process, you know, it's, uh, you got to have to have a process uh, for making adjustments and how you approach the week. Um, can't really stress that enough to people how important that is so you can tweak your systems and try to remain as consistent as possible to what you know how to do and how you do it. I would like you to, or I'd like to ask you what you do for your process. And you don't have to get into too much detail if you don't want to reveal any secrets or anything, but just just tell the audience what your week-to-week process is for betting college football, please. Okay. Well, it really starts before the season even goes on. I mean, I've got sheets on about 94 college teams. There are three conferences I do not have sheets on, um, nor do I care that much about Connecticut or um, James Madison or some of those others. Uh, so three conferences I don't do. And so at the end of the year, I'm updating my sheets and I'm putting down historical data, my own personal data, how I've done in each conference, how I've done with my running numbers, how I've done with my power ratings. I'm updating information regarding new coaching staffs, not just the head coach, but it's important to know if philosophically will the offensive coordinator, the new coordinator, will he change the scheme? the offensive line guy, the special teams coordinator. I'm looking at all that. I'm looking at returning starters. Nowadays, I'm looking at the transfer portal because it's not just about returning starters. When July 4th hits, then I start populating my team sheets in earnest. I'm writing about, I have the schedule week by week. I have a blank space where the numbers are going to be filled in, but to the left and to the right, I'm writing little notes about, is this going to be a trap game? Is this a revenge game? Does that matter? Um, What are my expectations? 
And then I'm doing my college season previews, which I finished about 10 days ago. So I've written up 131 teams and I've got all that, you know, locked and loaded in in Word document. And so it's, it's all ready to go. Transfer that information to the team sheets because during the season, I don't want to be overreactive. You know, if a team beats another team and they're a seven point dog and they win by 10, I want to know if that's a surprise to me or if it's it's something I already expected. Um, and so basically from that, I want to make it as easy as possible from September 1st on. And I think that's why the process and even though it's methodical, it's actually fun to start finding nuggets about each of these teams. So by now I'm ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. And that's huge. I mean, your off-season work rivals pretty much anyone's. You can write your own thick, like, Phil Steele magazine for some of the stuff that I've seen you do, Rob. That is absolutely fantastic. Um, well, that so you have a ton of prep before. How do you approach week by week, for example, on Mondays, Sundays, um, when you're starting to dive into the new lines coming out? So for week one or week zero, either one of those, when a team plays its first game, um, I've already set my lines and we know those lines are going to move more than any. Some of them have already moved. So most of my plays would already be in on week one and week zero. But if you're talking about after September 3rd, I'm adjusting my power numbers. I'm recording relevant data, uh, relevant data uh, like uh, yards per gain on offense, uh, rushing the ball, uh, stopping the run. And I'm taking out information. Uh, video we have going on, uh, Chris and I with uh, Dr. Bob, we talk about stats that need to be thrown out. Quarterback sacks in the NFL are treated differently than quarterback sacks in college. In college, they come off the running yardage. So if a, you know, a team could run four and a half yards per carry, but in the box score, it may show up three yards per carry because the quarterback was sacked four or five times. Or maybe there was a bobble pitch or a bobble punt um, that was negative 25 or 30 yards or an 80-yard broken play run. So I'm parsing all that out and I'm putting that on the sheets for the next week. And then I'm setting my lines so I'm doing that while the games are going on Saturday night and Sunday, depending on you know what other outside things I'm, I'm involved in. By Sunday night, I'll have set my lines for college football. And if I need to make some plays, which I typically do um, in the early weeks uh, when the lines might move more, I'm ready to go on that. On Tuesday, I'm just fine tuning. And, um, and then hopefully I have like 24 hours off from that because I'm also doing the NFL <laughs> um, where I don't have to think, you know, that hard. Hopefully I've, all the work that I've done in preparation means I don't have to think about it 24-7. And, uh, and then we go from there. So typically the toughest days would be um, all day Sunday into Monday morning and then getting back into it, um, you know, Thursday, you know, Thursday, Friday before the Saturday games. No disagreement here. It is, uh, <laughs> you hope you can rely on some of that work that you did, hard work, you know, based on a week-to-week basis here. And uh, I always tell people, don't, don't over-adjust if you think you really did the due diligence that you're supposed to do mm-hmm. for prepping for a team just for a one-game outlier, too. So it's important to know yeah. when to not make those adjustments as well. Are your, is your college basically uh, very power ratings heavy when, it come, when you come with your lines? Or I suppose you can ask if they're metric uh, 
where it'd be the actual matchups between like passing offense, passing defense, uh, you know, rushing offense, rushing defense, and stuff like that. Power ratings are part of the equation, but um, not a major part of the equation. What it does is if my line is two and a half or three points off, I'm not going to take the other side. I'm not going to go against my line value. But uh, if, if the line's within a point or two, even if it's key numbers, um, it, I don't, then the power rating is less important to me. Power ratings are important week zero for me because it spots early lines that are way off. And it, it certainly did that in, the, in a couple of games there. But then I'm going into matchup data. And, and like we've talked about on the podcast, uh, we've talked about it with Brad. We've talked about it with uh, Dr. Bob and so on. Chris and I uh, subscribe to about the same uh, theory with this is that after week three for him and after week four for me, uh, I'm relying on the data more than ever. Early, I'm relying on, okay, did they replace all five starters on the offensive line? That's a red flag. Are there four new secondary players? That's a red flag. Are there seven new coaches that have to adjust? Yeah. If they don't get it together week one, then then I know that you know something's up week two. So I'm, I'm looking at all these things. The checkpoints are ready to go. The power ratings are the guiding factor, but they're not the overriding factor in my analysis. Oh, great stuff. And, that, you know, for me, college is more power rating based throughout the season than NFL. Um, okay. NFL, there's just two, they're too almost too close together in a way. I mean, college, yeah. you have a 60 some point difference between the best yeah. and the worst. NFL, maybe 13 in the beginning of the season. Maybe that uh, balloons out to 17 or 18 these days. And that's even high to what it used to be. It used to be more like 14 or 15 for me. But, um, for for my process, I do very similar. I'm actually adjusting my power ratings the day of the game. Uh, Saturday, I'm watching the game by my computer, and I'm looking at box scores already, and I'm trying to get ready for the Sunday uh, lines to come out. Now, um, a lot of that's power rating based to Sunday lines, but I have to do a couple matchup checks. I, Covers is a good site for that. You can see what they did history on some teams and things like that. See if there's any trends that make sense. Most trends you can just make up. You can find a trend on any single matchup that you can try to argue for. We know that already. And a lot of sites, uh, I guess, are, are a little bit misleading when it comes to that. I think the, mm -hmm. there's people that use good systems with it, and there's people that abuse it, but we don't need to get in the weeds for that. But I want to. I do want to see how this team does uh, perform at certain locations, and especially if there's the same coach or same quarterback and things like that. Look for those interrelations. But that's when I attack the first lines. Is at least uh, trying to find differences of my thoughts uh, between the general power rings at the the, the Vegas, uh, you know, sports books, or whether it be the online sports books that we use have already put it out, and that's how they you know get their lines. You know, Circa is a very early book and. They put their neck out there because they believe their stuff, but they their stuff moves just like everybody else. Once people seem to uh, ju jump on some things, especially if it's an overwhelming amount of money, because they'll say, okay, we don't care if we are off here. We have to balance this out a little bit. So um, in general, um, there's usually the market is who it shapes the lines. So after that is when I do a little bit more metric-based stuff. And I'll even be wrong on some of my initial bets. Even if the line goes with me, I'm kind of like, you know, I bet this. The line did move in my favor, but I don't like it as much. You know, sometimes that mm -hmm. happens, and maybe I'll, I will buy back a little bit. But the metric stuff is uh, a lot of the matchup-based uh, situations. Um, 
you know, you wonder if like, uh, why is this team not scoring a lot and they're getting into the red zone? Why is their red zone efficiency so bad? Oh, their field goal kicker was missing a bunch. Now they just switched them out. You know, you know things like that where I can try to find a little advantage yeah. over di- getting in the, uh, di- the dirty work. Um, so for the NFL, very similar, but I almost like barely use my power ratings after week three in the NFL. I think I have them as a base, but I use the metrics and the algorithm more than to, as a score predictor. I have a score predictor system that uses all the efficiency data that's all plugged in and it's all automated now i used to have to plug it in myself which was an absolute pain but now i got a spreadsheet that pulls it all it's wonderful but from there i i try to find out what's off and then i get right into the metrics and try to get some nfl lines early but i will get into the metrics a little first when it comes to the nfl and uh it's all based upon my efficiency algorithm more than anything else and the team matches up and how they match up against themselves and obviously, you still look at the, some of the stuff from covers and look at some of those situations. It's kind of interesting. I can't, I couldn't find an algorithm at work for me in college, Ron, because it's just so hard to strength a schedule of these things. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the conferences are so different. And sometimes just teams look at conferences different ways. And sometimes they're just looking past some teams. I think it's a little bit more creative, you know, when it comes to that. Yeah. So it's almost like the power ratings. Um, it, they don't do in in the NFL. They don't do as much as they do for college because I can at least say I I know Alabama's forty points better than this team. But you know when it comes to that line, the larger it gets, the more you have to be off. If you know what I'm saying, right, Ron? Yeah, well, I think part of it is when you play an opponent matters. Um, you know, like these week zero games, they're going to come back five days later. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? You, know, you you have to take a look at that in terms of the travel. Um, you have to look at uh, what strength of the opponent that you're playing. Is there a conference game next and so on? So game placement is important in college and the NFL. And when to attack a line is important too, especially in college. I'm making notes on a Saturday uh, anticipating movement on lines. So I'm saying to myself, if I can find a plus seven or a minus seven here, I'm going to take it because I think the lines can move in, the, in a certain direction. And it's kind of to your point is that I may not be 100% sure that I like that side, but I know I'm getting value at that point. And if I end up liking the side, great. If I don't, if I'm right about the line movement, then I'm not only going to get off it, but I might even create a middle opportunity and so on. So it's when you strike, whether it be, Future plays, season wins, uh, public perception, knowing what the public perception is. You know, I hate, you know, injuries are already factored into the line, but the public tends to make it a bigger deal. For me, injuries matter if it's a quarterback, um, but otherwise injuries only matter if it's cluster injuries, two offensive linemen, two defensive backs, something like that, uh, cumulative uh, effect. Because I think... Uh, we can overreact to how a line moves in injuries. There's, there's, you know, 10 other players on the team, 22 players, all the special teams and so on. Um, So those are kind of the things I'm looking at, uh, trying to get a a taste. Lines are going to move more early in the season. In the NFL, uh, lines are going to be pretty tight by weeks four, five, or six. We're going to know which teams are more public than others. We're going to know, you know where the new Cincinnati is or where a team that 
have ex high expectations, maybe are not having uh, the season they want. Uh, and so we're trying to get ahead of the curve. Um, early bye weeks, what adjustments are teams making like Philadelphia made last year? Um, just trying to find something that's not out there that everybody else knows. 100%. Uh, it's so important. And what's funny, you said uh, the public overreacts to, like, for example, a wide receiver injury, a running back injury. And it's it's just as equally important to say they underreact to cluster injuries, I think, uh, like when mm -hmm. two, two linebackers are out, when three offensive tech uh, yeah. linemen are out. You know, a, a, a good team has two pretty good backup linemen, but after that, they're pulling guys from their practice spot. Mm -hmm. You know, they can't yeah. put everybody on the roster. I think some of the years with the Washington football team and um, <laughs> Carolina, I, you just saw how bad uh, injuries can derail some of these guys. And that's uh, a great point, how people underreact to cluster injuries. That's wonderful. Yeah. Now, yeah, so there's two, yeah, two points on that is, is number one, um, this is why I studied the draft for 40 years. The draft matters. Teams that consistently draft five, six players and maybe not even good ones, when injuries hit, they're affected more. Yeah. And, and then you also have to look at teams like the Rams and other teams with superstars in their starting lineup. But because of the salary cap, they pay minimum wage for their backups. Uh, so just a kind of a tip there is if certain teams, certain teams can handle injuries better than others. And knowing what those teams are, or who those teams are is important. Yeah, absolutely. Which teams have that type of depth? Uh, to make up for some of those positions. That's so important, and that's why uh, I always go to you when I look at my draft. We had a couple of good shows about that. We, I think we both both you and I uh, saw it, and I, I know you did extremely well on betting the draft, too, so that's always yeah. fun, isn't it? Well, wonderful. Let's get into some of these Week Zero games, being that it is starting this weekend. Actually, it might even be on Thursday, the first game here. Um, I have to double-check that, but... I flew in late last night, and I already have some plays myself. Some of the lines moved in my direction. I'm I'm a little bit more week one heavy, I think, than week zero heavy. But let's get into it. Um, I'm going to pull up the lines on DraftKings here, since it's a very common book that people like to use. Um, why don't we start out with Saturday, August 27th? So no, it, there is no Thursday game. There's Thursday, there's a Thursday game week one, but we start out here. On Saturday, August 27th, with Nebraska uh, against Northwestern. And this game is not in this country, is it? <laughs> you no. Know, no, always always tough to to know which uh, 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds are going to get air sickness versus uh, whether or not they're uh, there to play the game or be, you know, some of them haven't traveled that far in their life. And now they're traveling across an ocean. So extra variable. They're going to Ireland. Who's going to yeah. drink the Irish beer before the game? No, I mean, the night before the game. Right? I will. <laughs> <laughs> we, both, we both will, my man. Well, we'll be we'll be drinking some the day of the game, maybe, but um, we don't know how these yeah. kids are going to react going to another place. But um, there is definitely some pressure on one of these coaches, if not both. Uh, one of them was supposed to uh, be amazing, like he was at uh, Central Florida, Mr. Frost. And uh, one of them... Had a, one of the worst years I've ever seen Northwestern have last year, and Gary. Uh, so, what is any? Have you looked at this game or made any plays? Yeah, I have looked at this game. Um, this is an unusual fact. Uh, I believe Nebraska won one conference game last year, 
maybe one and eight, maybe two, but let's just say one and eight. But they scored as many points as they allowed, showing how many games they blew in the last seconds, mostly due to special teams. Right. This was the one win, 56 to seven over Northwestern. It's kind of a payback game for Northwestern. Either that or Nebraska has supreme confidence. And I'm bullish on Nebraska this year because they finally hired a special team coordinator. Amazing that a Big Ten team with all that money doesn't feel the need for a special team coordinator. But they have one now. Maybe they fix some of the problems. They're really about three or four plays away from having an eight or nine win season last year. Um, I think they're loaded, but the points are still a little too high for me. I think... Uh, the coaching staff of Northwestern, I give them a preparation edge um, as far as getting their team ready in another country. And maybe that comes to fruition, maybe not. But I think the 12 and a half, 13 is a tad high for my taste. My power ratings say it should be 10, 10 and a half. So there's a little bit of a difference there. Um, if Nebraska wins, great. If they win by 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 points, they're happy. I'm happy. Yeah, I mean, and that's... In Nebraska, one thing that they did that I really like is bring in Mark Whipple. Um, they have a, a transfer quarterback coming in from Texas as well, and I think that could pay some dividends for this team. Um, Scott Frost, he was good at something, we know, and um, he just happened to blow games, but part of that might have been his quarterback last year. You know, Adrian Martinez is yeah. gone now. I'm um, throwing all those interceptions. I mean, they outgained Michigan State by hundreds of yards and lost that game. They're they a positive yeah. 1.14 yards per play, net yards per play, and had three wins last year. Normally, you look at that as, as a buy-in situation, but then you have to put the name Nebraska there, and you're like, this is how they do. You know, they mm -hmm. they 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 overpower teams and lose. Well. I just think that there's a good chance this year now that Nebraska finally has a great offense coordinator that's going to take a lot off Scott Frost's uh, issues. I think Mark Whipple was the whole reason that Kenny Pickett was the number one draft pick over from mm -hmm. Pittsburgh. I really believe that. And um, okay. the fact that this team handled Northwestern last year makes my power rating a little bit bigger. And I, what I will mention, Ron, is I'm okay if my power ratings in some of the games, definitely not all of them, but some games are a bit off from the market. The first week, week yeah. zero, week two, week three. But if my power ratings are off in week five, then there's a problem. And it's probably my, uh, yeah. it's probably with me. And the problem's probably with me. And so I just want people, people to know that. My power rating on this is larger. Um, it, it worries me a little bit that it's in Ireland. What's this field going to be like? How is it going to be for running and stuff like that? But being that the Nebraska is one of the best recruiting teams, it, it, they are the best recruiting team in the Big Ten West, but they still rank in the top 20 nationwide. Mm -hmm. I just see a big difference in class here. Yeah, that game against Northwestern, 56-7 to seven really scratched my head, but a lot of people say, oh, public might think that Northwestern is looking for revenge. I think that they're just were overpowered and Nebraska is going to know how to take care of them. I t I did make a play at 12, but it's at 13 now, so slight very slight movement in my favor. I'm not super comfortable about it, but I still would lean Nebraska with at the number 13. So yeah. Nebraska's the better team on paper. Um, but there's some intangibles here that, uh, that I like Northwestern. Uh, like I said, I, I think if, if Nebraska wins fewer than seven games, um, there's a problem because they're, they're built to challenge this year. 
Um, the question will be week one can it, or week zero, will they put it all together against a Northwestern team that's probably going to play above their talent level because they're fundamentally sound. Yeah, yeah. And, and being fundamentally sound used to be what uh, they used to you know roll on is just being able to muscle people in the trenches a little bit, slow mm-hmm. the game down by actually running the ball. Um, but they were just so bad last year in the way they lost to Duke, one of the worst teams in the nation. When they beat Ohio, you think they might have gotten it together. Then we found out Ohio was terrible in the MAC last year because Ohio was always a good MAC team. And then uh, just a bunch of L's in a row was very, very head scratching. You know, the last, the only the Iowa game was within three points. They lost by five to Iowa, but all the other games are getting beat by twenty. 30 points you know losing to purdue by 18 points losing to illinois by like 30 points very very bad look for how they finish this season but the, the problem with northwestern is their quarterback ryan Helinski. I, I i'm not sure i think he's starting and i haven't seen anything different that he wasn't so that worries me 54 percent last year only three touchdowns um and four interceptions so um, very, very concerned with Northwestern. Let's move on to the next game, Nevada at New Mexico State. So this is interesting because New Mexico State was one of the worst teams in football, but then all of a sudden Nevada's coach leaves to Colorado State, which you would think is a horizontal move, and he takes all his players with him. So, yeah. so Nevada really went down in the power rings. You could have got a much better number than plus nine here if you like the New Mexico State side. Um, I'll admit right now I did Ron. I, I agreed, uh, with Ralph Michaels last week or two weeks ago, he was on my show and, uh, it was still at 10 and a half. And I'm like, well, New Mexico state has kill as his, as, as their coach. And he's actually a very good motivational type of guy ready to turn this whole program around. I grabbed the 10 and a half. It's down to nine. Um, there's gotta be a point where Nevada has value. I just don't know where that point is. I can't get a good gauge for Nevada. So, so what do you have? for this one well i'm i'm embarrassed to say what points i got it's just that uh i i publish a bottom five coaches list each year and usually two or three of them get fired afterwards because (laughs) they're bad and new mexico state's coach has been on it three years in a row and he finally got fired so this is an enormous upgrade to go to jerry kill i think they lost to dixie state a couple years ago or something like that it got that bad and for New Mexico State. And like you said, Nevada, they have 20 people transfer out of the program, not to mention the fact that Carson Strong's in the NFL and uh, three receivers are on different teams. They also lost a bunch of their coaches. Um, I, I originally set my power rating and then I had to adjust it after talking to a couple people. Um, and graciously, uh, you know, somebody you know very well, Kyle Hunter, pointed out that are you a little too high on Nevada and and I was I was kind of saying well I'm really down on them um, but I I should have even adjusted my power rating down even further so I had valued the line open 16 and a half which unfortunately I didn't get because I didn't have access to but I did get 14 and 12 and a half so um, New Mexico State is if New Mexico State their over under win total is two and a half so expectations are pretty low for them too. Nevada's open five and a half and five, which I think is too way too high. Actually, personally, um, the five and a half was kind of a gift. 
Um, I see this as a close game. I still think New Mexico State doesn't have the kind of talent Nevada has, but with such a completely new roster and coaching staff, uh, I think the points are still too high. Um, and I went ahead and grabbed New Mexico State. Yep. Well, it so- sounds like you had a better line than me, so that's good. But now that's sitting at the nine, you have to really decide how low you're going to yeah. get on a Nevada team. That's always, you know average Matt uh well West team I mean if you look at the past five years you'd take Nevada minus nine any single year except for this year so it's like how much are you going to downgrade them well they are dead last in returning production <laughs> dead last in the whole nation and I think it's below eight twenty percent now with this team so um completely brand new team uh I I feel good about New Mexico State and to be honest with you I think that the line still might be a little too high. I think maybe a seven should be there instead. And that probably, you- probably true. I wouldn't give more than ten personally, just because New Mexico has a. You know, we may not see their talent as being that good, but Kill will probably have them running and controlling clock, um, and things like that. So I think it's the right side under the circumstances, but I, I probably ten would be my threshold. All right, sounds good. Why don't we move on to the next game, Wyoming at Illinois. This just creeped up even farther. Illinois is now 11-point favorite at home against Wyoming. A lot of people remember Illinois last year, and they beat Nebraska that week one game. I'm sure they're outgained and still won, just like in Nebraska fashion. But um, either way, uh, it's it's a possible motivational spot for Illinois to – come in swinging here they now have a different quarterback from Syracuse and uh, we all know a little bit about him and I think Sikowski's probably going to be uh, playing playing the bench <laughs> this year I think uh, mm-hmm. um, I, what's your thoughts on this game is there uh, is there a play that you have made I think in past years this would be kind of an Illinois lean because Wyoming also um, got torched in the transfer portal and they lost a bunch of people um, just through. They lost their they lost their bell cow running back Balladay, who carries about three hundred times uh, per year. So they may they're going to go with a second string running back who's also pretty good, but they have some quarterback issues. Team depth is really low. I have no personal play on this game. I think the line is priced pretty close to what I had it. I set it at twelve, so I'm just. I'm just a notch. Yeah, I don't feel comfortable laying Illinois as a double-digit favorite, um, but I, I don't like teams with so little returning depth uh, like Wyoming has. I still don't have Illinois' offense as being even average. I still think it's a tad below average, um, the Illinois offense. So outscoring Wyoming is going to depend on Wyoming turnovers, and because of that, I'm a hard pass on the game. Yeah, and Tommy DeVito – when he played for Syracuse, everyone says his offensive line was so bad, and that's why, that's why. But when he comes to Illinois, they replace three of their five uh, offensive linemen. And I scratch my head, it's like, why is it going to be better here? I mean, this is Illinois' program. They're not. He's not transferring into Michigan. He's not transferring into Wisconsin, you know. And so I wonder that a little bit. I, I'll admit that I have a bad number on this. I have 10. I took Wyoming plus 10. And a lot went against me, and a lot of people expect a big upgrade. But one thing I do know, especially as a Badger fan, is that 
you know, Brett Bielema was our coach for a while, and I thought it was all his offensive coordinators and nothing had to do with him for that team's success. And I even think they had a better chance in the Rose Bowl if, it, if uh, Russell Wilson, that last drive, if uh, he didn't blow the clock on that, Bielema. And, you know, I mean. <laughs> I was at that game. I was there. I was there Was that the well. TCU game? No, I was at that one, too. Uh, there was a year okay. before. That was with uh, J.J. Watt. And, and I believe Tolzien oh, okay. was Tolzien was the quarterback who never belonged in the NFL, but he got he got to play. Andy in a, Dalton. A, 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 Andy Dalton beat us, uh, and then I was at the was very, unbelievable. <laughs> but it was it was more painful because Russell Wilson was so good, and he kept us in that Oregon game, and just kind of mm-hmm. a, a you know be able to blew it a little bit. But you know, I, there's nothing that shows that he's a great leader to me. And in, in, in Illinois, and double digit favorite over everyone, it, Wyoming made some weird moves themselves they like them in utah state swapped quarterbacks and uh, i don't like any of them to be honest with you but at the same time wyoming's always like minus six minus seven in my power ratings like below the average team and illinois is rarely above the zero Uh, you know it's like how is this 10 i'm 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 still okay with my plus 10 I, i don't love the fact that i made it but i'm not like that bummed about it to be honest with you i don't think illinois should be laying double digits to anybody and it's almost like illinois last year when they had their success and they beat minnesota um when they beat nebraska this was a dog roll that they had but you know illinois is a favorite um i think they're a favorite against utsa for a while anyway they lost at virginia they got destroyed um against maryland they might have been a favorite too i can't remember if they were or not to be honest but um they just didn't play well uh, in that favorite role and um even Rutgers they lost as a favorite at home so uh, I'm okay with it for now not saying that I would necessarily run out and play play Wyoming after all the uh market movement and I read some respectable handicaps from people I respect on it and I missed some things and I admit to that but I'm not saying that um I'm I'm completely against it let's move on to UConn versus Utah State here, and Utah State is all the way up to minus 27. This line's been kind of slowly creeping up a little bit, too. I I don't know how you gauge Utah State, but if UConn's as bad as what they've been in the past, Ron, every team should win by 50 against them. So what are your thoughts on this one? Don't have many thoughts on this game. Uh, Utah State lost some talent. Um, They were gashed versus the run last year. That's UConn's only hope to keep it close because uh, UConn under a coaching change, Jim Moore Jr. taking over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I honestly have no real thoughts on the game. Based on my numbers, actually, it's priced the way I expected it. Um, I, I, you know, I'm probably not going to be involved in much UConn action this year. The lines are going to be high. If Utah State's 27, you know, some of their other opponents are going to be 37. So. Right. I, I have nothing much I could say about this game. Yeah, it's. It, I think Jim Mora being at UConn here makes it like. I think he was the coach here a long a while ago, but uh, he's there, and he's uh, the. I guess people are maybe believing in this team. You're you're hearing a lot of good things out of camp, and maybe this is all beat writer hearsay and stuff. But I think this is what's keeping it from going too far. I mean, Utah State was actually the big surprise last year in the mountain West. And a lot of people say they got lucky in some of those games, but I watched them play. And usually a team, 
that wins their conference like that will end up blowing it in their bowl game. And they went and beat Oregon State by 10 points, 11 points in their bowl game. You know, it's just almost like this. Don't, don't remind me of that as an Oregon State <laughs> alumni. <laughs> Sorry, Rod. Oh, I was there too. Oh, man. I didn't even know you went to that school. We should have talked about it. went to Oregon State. They scored uh, three plays into the game, seven nothing, you know, three plays, 75 yards drive or something like that. And that was the highlight. That was the highlight. Well, Logan Bonner here is quarterbacking. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. He kind of followed uh, Anderson, I think. So from Arkansas State, I thought, and yeah, uh, and Anderson's a really, really good coach. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is. He's a very good coach, and uh, we'll see how he does. You know, this year, I think that uh, my power ring is still not even close to this because I'd have to put Utah State in like a very, very positive light. Like I, I would have to have Utah State like close to where maybe like a a Mississippi state or something is, you know, like, or, or, well, well, you know, I mean, maybe where a Purdue is almost to be 27 over, over UConn right now, I guess my, my power ratings start a little bit more condensed and then they go out just like uh, everyone else is in the, um, Mm -hmm. as the season progresses, but it just seems a little bit too heavy for me. It's going to be one of those games that I'll I'll, uh, watch during commercials of the other Illinois game. (laughs) Don't want to watch too much of it, Ron. No play yeah. for me. No play for me. Charlotte versus FAU. FAU is minus seven. That's an interesting number here against Charlotte. Charlotte was terrible last year, if you remember. Total is 59. Pretty high total, which is kind of interesting. What are your thoughts on this one? Uh, these are two teams from a conference that I do not keep team sheets on. <laughs> so uh, we discussed power ratings. I rely a little bit more on power ratings for the conferences that I do not do team sheets on because I don't tabulate or calculate rushing data according to my formula. So I have to rely on schedule information and uh, box score analysis, but I don't tabulate from week to week. It's it's hard enough doing 90 to worry about 130 of them. Mm-hmm. So According to my power ratings, the line is fairly well set. I think Charlotte's offense is is good. The question is, can Charlotte stop anybody? Because they haven't shown that under um, their third-year coach or fourth-year coach. Um, and it's more how I'm going to study this game than rather play it this week. Uh, I want to be ahead of the curve. If, if I find that Charlotte is playing a little bit better defense, I want to be ahead of the curve to know that. So it's more of a study game than a, I need to play this game. No, it makes sense to me. And my number is seven and a half. So I'm so close to the spread right mm-hmm. now. So, I mean, if it's that close, um, I'm doing something right on these sides anyway. I'm close to the market. <laughs> Unless I have both teams off in the same direction, of course. But um, I feel good about staying away from this game too because FAU – I'm not much of a tagger guy. I don't like Nikhil Perry. I just Charlotte was so embarrassing last year. That's the kind of thing that you, do you want to fade a team that might be coming into the season with a grudge here when the coach is in his third year too, um, like Will Healy. That's usually the year that they either make or break. So um, he wants to save his job this year. He's going to have a somewhat decent year. Maybe possibly have a chance at a bowl game. You know, coming in here, they return a few guys. Chris Reynolds, their quarterback. I'm fine with the seven. I think there's no reason yeah. to make a play on this. Let's move on to the next one. 
North Texas versus UTEP. And UTEP is a one-point dog. Uh, I believe this is NUTEP in El Paso. Uh, total is 55. What do you have, Ron? Well, I'm really wondering whether UTEP really turned the corner last year or just one of those things. You know, they won a few close games. Um, they got a, a fast start and momentum built, confidence built for the first time. Uh, and I, I still am skeptical that they're I, I have a feeling they're going to regress and it's not because of roster strength. They actually look a little bit deeper in a lot of areas, but their style of play is a little bit more, not with the 2020, you know, not with this decade of performance and that style of play against North Texas would worry me. I have a lean to North Texas, but it's primarily based on the fact that I, I have a feeling and we'll see if it comes true or not, whether I play the game or not, but in the first two or three games, that UTEP might have overachieved last year. So that's kind of going to be my uh, my look for this game. I have some notes, not on their sheet, because I don't have sheets for these teams either. Um, but I have some notes that I made next to a schedule that I keep for these teams. And if I see some regression, I'm not going to be afraid to fade UTEP, who's never had a great home field advantage to begin with. So I don't give much credence to the fact that they're home. Home field advantage is a little weird in some of the smaller conferences. My number is right on the spread again. Um, I have North Texas minus one on my power ratings, and that's giving UTEP a little home field advantage. I think that, well, first of all, UTEP was my biggest play last year, over two and a half wins, and that cashed. That was great. We, they, they made a bowl game. They had some very good receivers on that team. Now those receivers are gone. They still have Gavin Hardison as their quarterback, but their defense isn't all that good. They don't exactly play uh, high-tempo football, but yeah. what I do know is that North Texas does with Seth Luttrell there, yeah. and that is what I think makes me lean towards the over in this game. Um, Seventh-ranked in tempo. Um if you remember watching North Texas, they can score a ton of points. They did burn me in a few of those totals because their defense at North Texas was a little bit better than I suspected, but they only returned four starters on defense now, which makes me think that UTEP should be able to score 20 points. I think if UTEP can get into the 20s, then this total is going to be rivaled. I, I'm going to lean North Texas here too, but... um. No reason for me to play it necessarily because it's just so close to my power rings, but I do lean to the over, and you might see a, a high-flying show on this one, Ron. Yeah, I'm not sure. It depends on who gets out to the lead. If UTEP gets out to the lead, I think they'll be more conservative, but if North Texas forces UTEP out of its rhythm, then you've got the overs. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you remember this game only went to 37 last year too, so that would be yeah. concerning for me too. Only a lean to the over as of right now. Let's see if it moves. You know, we'll always see what happens. Last game. We have the biggest game of the year, Vanderbilt <laughs> versus <Ooh>. Hawaii. <laughs> Come on, SEC, baby. SEC, right? You're excited? SEC. Oh, it's Vanderbilt. Oh, geez. I, they're, yeah. they're, they're in the SEC? Well, they, they're, they're the, smart, the school that makes the SEC smart is what everybody likes to say. But um, Hawaii, where there were some massive issues last year with coaching, and obviously, they had to switch out the toxic environment that was created there. And I was a little surprised, you know, when I heard all that about um, 
the coach over there is escaping my mind the name of him. He Graham. Was, Graham. Graham. Todd Graham. He used to coach at ASU. And um, and so, you know, he was really rough on the kids. But um, Vanderbilt's coming in as an SEC school. They have to do something someday maybe. I don't know. They haven't been good since Cutler's been there. But Hawaii's just really taking it worse because they're one of the worst teams in returning production as well. This, this whole game just – I wouldn't be surprised if Vanderbilt won by 20 points. I wouldn't be surprised if Hawaii won by 10. I I, I don't have a good gauge for either of these teams, especially Hawaii. One, I'm going to stay away, but I'm at least going to learn something from this game for maybe some of the future games coming up through the weeks, Ron. It's kind of a weird game for me because this is one where power ratings do um, make me kind of want to side. Uh, in general, I think whoever wins this game is going to be overvalued later because these are two of the weaker teams in, in college. So somebody's going to go 1-0, and and that team's going to get a win that may elevate them to some people, but unless it's a blowout win and I, and I don't see anything, uh, or you know, it's, it's off from what I, my expectations are, I don't see these teams having productive seasons. Vanderbilt's head coach does not excite me. I watched the SEC media games. I wanted to pick up a few uh, nuggets from the media day. And second year in a row, he, I'm saying, boy, um, this is all coach speak. Nothing's going to happen there. And Hawaii, um, they're a longtime quarterback, longtime quarterback. He played like five, six, seven years there. He's the head coach, and he's jumping up in rank. And this is a job. He's kind of a favored son, but he's not ready to be a head coach. Um, but I think it's disrespectful for Vandy to be a full seven-point favored almost against anybody at this level and go into the islands. Um, it doesn't match with my power ratings, so I'm likely to have a small play. I already have a small play on Hawaii, not because I like them. I, I just don't think... And if they prove me wrong, they prove me wrong. But I just don't think Vandy uh, is deserving of being a full seven points against another FCS team. Yeah, yeah. This is, I mean, lots, a lot of travel. First game, uh, Hawaii is going to come in fired up no matter what because it's the first game. My numbers also got the spread two and a half. I mean, normally I would make that play. Look, I'm, it's, I'm below the three, below the seven. But I, it's just like I said, this is one I really don't feel for. And I think the market can't really feel well for it either. I understand you making a play with your power rings, though. It's almost like, well, if I, why do I do power rings if I'm not making these plays early? Because that's when you're supposed to have the advantage if you do your homework. So I I don't disagree with you. I'm a, I won't be hurt if I don't bet this game and maybe it falls back to seven. But if it goes to ten... I'll probably play it with you. <laughs> if, uh, yeah. if if there's some Vanderbilt hype coming in this game, I would I'll probably join in, but it's not going to hurt my feelings to stay away from it, Ron. Two, yeah, two ways the game can go. Number one, Vandy could just overpower Hawaii, who's is kind of light and thin defensively, and they did get run over a little bit. Or Hawaii's more sophisticated pass attack will catch Vandy flat-footed. And they'll say, wait a second, we're not used to this kind of air raid attack that the new coaching staff is going to put in. If I had the crystal ball of which one would happen, that would be nice. But uh, so I'll just go with perceived line value right now. Although I, I do think Hawaii's not going to be a very good team this year. But then, you know, the chance of Bandy winning one game in the SEC is probably less than 50-50 as well. Yeah, that's why Vandy's 0.5 
total over under in uh, conference play for the SEC. Oh, is that right? So that's okay. that. That's what it is. It's <laughs> pretty much tells you where they belong, and that's probably why both of our mm-hmm. power rings are like this. Well, Gron, we're out of time. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Love your insights as usual. You're such a great follow. If you guys aren't following Ron, make sure you follow him on Twitter at Ron A Sports and check out the Inside Blitz, the show he does with Ted Sopel and Las Vegas Chris. It is very informative. You're watching, you're looking at betting from a different uh, aspect. They cover topics that are extremely important that a lot of people don't talk about. So I'm very impressed by it. And Ron, where could some of the our viewers get your information uh, and where you publish your uh, well previews and documents and plays? Some of it has been kind of not published and kept to myself, but uh, we may be exploring some avenues of putting some of the NCA content on, maybe some of the NFL content. Haven't finished the previews yet for the NFL. That won't be till last minute. Uh, maybe I'll throw, uh, even to the odds breakers, a random uh, a draft analysis because it's still relevant what happened in the draft. Uh, throw a few teams that people might be interested in. You know, I'll just place it here, there, or everywhere. Um, but otherwise, uh, during the season, Chris, Ted, and I do plan a different type of show. We're not going to have that summer series with all this great process, um, but we probably will do a game of the week kind of thing and maybe you know, come in once or twice every once in a while with some random thoughts and nuggets and, and some betting insights. Uh, we'll keep it light. We'll all be a little bit busier during the football season. But as you could tell, I love talking about college and the NFL. So it's uh, always great talking with you and uh, with the odds breakers. And I appreciate you having me on. Oh, Ron, we love it. Thank you. And we, we can't get enough articles from you. So don't ever hesitate if you want to put something up for public on the oddsbreakers.com because we uh, need that type of information. Make sure you guys check out Ron at Ron Ace Sports. All right. Before Kyle comes on, I want to remind you guys that you can get these interviews and obviously any free plays that are sent out via this podcast just by liking our YouTube channel channel setting up the notifications and basically you get the guest interviews the day before the podcast comes out it's usually in the middle of the day but if you are bored or if you have some downtime feel free to put that on while you're possibly working or doing something else to get our interviews and plays before the line moves so please check that out and without further ado let's get into our next guest mr kyle hunter from kyle hunter picks now I'm very excited to welcome back one of my longest and most knowledgeable guests when it comes to handicapping college football to the odds breakers and my partner on Better Odds Sports Bettering and Sports Wagering You, Mr. Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Kyle Hunter Picks, and this segment is being brought to you by BetRivers.com for a 100 percent Sign up bonus up to 250 bucks. Please visit Bet Rivers and use the promo code ODDS22. Terms, conditions, and location apply. Kyle, football season is finally here, my man. College football. I think secretly you and I might like college football a little bit more than the pros, but we don't have to tell everybody that. Oh, we just did. But anyways, how excited are you, my man? Oh, man, I love this time of the year. We've spent a lot of time prepping for this, and now here it's about to be the games, right? You look through all the, the magazines and all the notes and take so many notes for, for many months, and now the actual games are going to be on the screen. You can't beat this time of the year. 
Uh, yeah, I secretly do like college football better. College football and college basketball is a really, really close call. If you ask me which I like better during football season, I say football. If you ask me during basketball, I'd probably say basketball. So uh, just love this time of the year. I think the college sports are great. And uh, we got some some uh, games that kind of you know whet the appetite a little bit here on week zero, right? And then uh, some really good games for week one. Let's face it, Kyle. These week zero games are the ones you watch anyway. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to watch them. We're we're all going to watch them. It's just funny. In October, November, some of us will be watching the Alabamas and the – you know, the big names, the Ohio States, but Kyle will definitely be watching who we bet on in these uh, Conference <laughs> USA and the uh, uh, MAC conferences. So that's always cool about Kyle. But uh, something I respect a lot because sometimes you find more value in the smaller conferences. It's true. And uh, there's uh, less information out there, but the more you dig, you can beat the sports books to the information. I think that's very important. And beating the market in general because that's what it really is. It's The sports books are responsible for the opening line, more or less. The market, more or less, in general where the lines are unless the sports book wants to gamble a little bit on some of the sides that they like but anyways my man kyle i have to ask you what was your college football record last year oh yeah uh 53 and 27 college football season last year 66 percent now kiev i, I want to say because i'm always honest trans- transparent don't expect 66 percent from me all the time everybody i mean we always like to be uh transparent uh, with everything that we do here as well, uh, 66% is not something that people can consistently do. However, 80 plays, Kiev, is a little bit lower than I usually have in a season. I think I'm going to up the volume a bit this year. Uh, there was a little bit of unknown here the last couple seasons with the COVID. And, uh, I think things have improved as far as what we know on depth charts and, and who's going to be playing. And and uh, my volume has generally been higher than 80 plays. And I do think I'll have more than 80 plays this year. So hopefully it can be a really profitable season again. Uh, my totals have done really well long-term, 57% on all my totals dating back to 2009. I think that's about 1,200 plays. So really good sample size there. So uh, if, if you want to join me, certain, certainly check out huntersportspicks.com or the odds breakers there. I've uh, got some packages available and some early bird specials. Yes, we do have Kyle's football package available right now. Football 22 gets you 100 bucks off that thing. Only good till the end of this month. Check him out. And yeah, and Kyle, the most transparent man I know, still, long term, that's the number that you love. And hey, he was great last year at 66%. Not saying that's sustainable, but that's also could be somewhat repeatable. Kyle could have two good years in a row, three good years. That's how you have great records. So I'm all for Kyle 100 picks right here. I think he's going to ha- do it great again. And I just remember how uh, when you were waiting for Gresham last year, it just never really happened. You just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. So proud of you, man. Yeah, thank you. What? Yeah, we, I will say, Kiev, real quick. Regression has hit me in baseball, so hopefully it's getting out of the way here in baseball, so that I can start out college football strong. Right, I uh, I started really hot in baseball, and I've I've had a rough run here of late. But baseball can be a little bit tough in uh, the months of August and September. So I'm excited to get college football underway, and then the NFL will be here shortly. So uh, let's get to some of this uh, college football. Talk. Yes, let's do it, my man. So let's let's talk about some of the ways that you prep for totals uh preseason I, and we're going to get into a little bit here uh talking a little bit about coaches but without obviously revealing too much of your secrets what do you look for 
Yeah, Kiev, the first thing I do is I want to look for teams that are different than what they were last year. Whether that means a bunch of kids transferred in that weren't there last year, whether it means, more importantly, a coaching change or a schematic change. Um, you know, I'll say I've said it this way before and I'll say it again. Like a team like Iowa, we know what Iowa's going to be, right? I mean, Iowa's been the same thing for, what, 20-some years since Kirk Ferentz has been there. They're not very good on offense. They're exceptional on defense. They're good in special teams. They're going to win games, and you say, how did they win that game? But that's what they do every year. They win a lot of low-scoring games. But you have other teams that have these wholesale changes as far as uh, head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. And really, the offensive coordinator is the thing I would look at first if I were betters, because uh, a lot of people see the head coach changes but kind of miss out on the offensive coordinator changes where there's a big schematic difference. Um, you know, we want to look for those teams – they're going to play something completely different than last year because the odds makers have a hard time setting something that is unknown. So the more unknown there is for the odds makers, the better chance we have to find some value early on, especially in those under the radar games like Kiev was talking about earlier. Uh, you know, it's harder for them to set a number or they're not going to pay as much attention to a number in a Sun Belt as they are in the SEC because uh, let's face it, you know, not near as many people are going to bet the Sun Belt or Conference USA or something like that as they are Alabama and Georgia. You know, if Alabama and Georgia change the way they play, they're going to update that one really quick. You're not going to be able to ride that one for very long. Mm. If uh, Louisiana Monroe changes the way they're playing or something, uh, you know, that's going to be take a while. You know, you could have several weeks to ride that one. Um, I, I think that's the first thing I would do is I'd look for those changes I would look for, especially in the smaller conferences, a key player that's gone because the drop-off uh, in the small conferences is much bigger than the big conferences. One of the things we've talked about before, Kiev, is depth charts are really important. The second, three, second string and third string guys, uh, you know, some of these, you know, Georgia, Alabama, uh, Ohio State, Clemson, the really good teams, the second and third string guys would be starting for just about anybody else. And you go to a small conference, the second and third string guys are not nearly as good as the first string guys. So if one guy is gone, you're missing a star running back. You're missing a star receiver or quarterback from last year. The drop-off can be much bigger. So uh, that's the type of things that I like to look for is especially first, the coaching changes. And second, key guys gone or new key transfers in. And I will say, I think you've probably thought the same thing. This whole transfer portal thing definitely makes for a lot of uh, pandemonium when it comes to power rating and trying to figure out what to do with some of these teams, because there's some of these guys that, you know, uh, these teams have about 30% of the returning players that they had last year back. And a bunch of them are just new uh, transfers in. Yeah. 100%. It's been the biggest difference in handicapping college football over the years is now how big the transfer portal has become. It used to be a law where they used to have to sit out a year, couldn't even really do it from conference uh, in, in in the conference itself. And um, then it kind of got bigger with grad transfers and just straight up, hey, I'm transferring out and then NIL money. It's just all kind of compiled on itself to force thousands of kids these these days in, in, in the football and in basketball, even more in basketball, to go from team to team and trying to make a name for themselves or go where it benefits them the way they play the game the most. So very important to pay uh, pay attention to. Let's get into a few teams then that might significantly change their pacing philosophies. And a lot of times the books don't catch up on this. They'll just look at what they did last year. They'll throw out a line 
And then all of a sudden you're going to be the first person to know just based upon the offensive coordinator coming in, possibly their defense gets a lot better or the head coach itself. Kyle, I'm, we're going to do five of them. I have five, but I'm going to let you go first because I'm guessing that mine might overlap. So I'm going to let you fire off. And if I'm going to see if I have one of the same five. All right, we'll start off with Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh, a big change with Mark Whipple gone. Uh, Signetti comes in, a huge schematic change. No picket. No Addison, which I think Addison was a really big key to that offense, too. Obviously, Pickett was a star, and everybody knows that. But Addison transferring out is a big hit to them. Um, we've seen Pat Narduzzi, who is an interesting head coach, kind of uh, spray some fire toward uh, his old offensive coordinator in the offseason, you know, saying, you know, we, we could run the ball, but we wouldn't run the ball for some reason. Look, I mean, their offense was really good last year. It's surprising <laughs> that he wants to bash his old offensive coordinator and talk about how they should have ran the football more against uh, Wake Forest in the bowl game or whatever it is. It's uh, So now he's, he wants to run the football, and Signetti is a guy that's going to do that. They're going to run the football far more than they did last year. Uh, no doubt that that will change a lot. I think that their pace will slow down a lot as well. Uh, so I would expect to see a lot of clock-killing drives where – uh, you know, you take the air out of the ball. You have some unders. Uh, also, the pit run defense is a lead as well. So if you face a team that's a good rushing team, I would really want to bet the under in this. And I will say to start, the first game against West Virginia is a tricky one because West Virginia is kind of the opposite. I didn't put it on my list of five here, but Graham Harrell, offensive coordinator, is going to speed them up. Uh, you know, I want to take Pitt unders, but that first game's kind of a tricky one. So uh, Pitt in general is one that I would like to take unders. Uh, I'll just keep going here. The second one I have, Kansas State. Now, Kiev, I'm curious your, your opinion on this one. So I'll ask you a question here in a minute because Colin Klein, the new offensive coordinator here in this one, they keep talking about, I've seen, I've read lots of quotes about playing faster. Now, it makes not a lot of sense to me because I didn't really think that was Chris Chris Kleiman style, you know, they win low scoring games. They win with defense. Uh, they were 127th in tempo last year and they keep talking about playing faster. Now I really don't expect Kansas state to turn into a really fast paced team. The question is how much quicker are they going to play? And I have in my notes here, you know, maybe up to 80th or 85th or something like that in tempo out of 131 teams in the country. I'm kind of curious what you think about Kansas state because they're talking the talk about playing faster, but are they actually going to? Because usually they win with defense, special teams, running the football. So is Colin Klein going to be a big difference for Kansas State? Do you have an opinion on that one? Well, the thing is, is that they now have Adrian Martinez from Nebraska, and he played a little bit of a faster tempo, obviously, with Scott Frost there. Scott Frost used to play even faster with UCF, but he found out it didn't really work in the Big Ten that well, and he kept putting his defense on its heels. So that may makes me get pause here. You know, I know Klein's going to want to speed it up a little bit, but Chris Kleiman, uh, you know, I, I believe he's at South Dakota State before he came in here. It was at you're that North, or, North Dakota, North, State. North Dakota State. Okay, but I do remember that they won based on defense too over there, and uh, they won championships mm -hmm. there. So it makes me like, um, why would he change his philosophy? This could be all smoke and mirrors, but Adrian Martinez did play a little faster. But Adrian Martinez is a great running quarterback. So I, I expect to be some more run and shoot type stuff, some more read option stuff possibly in this offense. And maybe when they want to do the read offense, uh, the read option, they want to do it a little faster to keep uh, defense on their heels. But 
I agree because this was 127th in tempo last year with Kansas State, and moving up to 80 is fair, but it, it but 80 is still slow. It's not right. It's not, and, and so I agree with you. I think it's going to maybe move up a little just based on their quarterback. But I'm not going to like think I'm going to be handling the overs here, Kyle. No, I think I think the other other part about this is Martinez could lead to more points, you know, because of his game uh, game state, the way that he turns the ball over. He could have pick sixes. He could have uh, fumbles, run back for a touchdown. He could also break one for a touchdown. So maybe they have a little bit higher scoring games. Uh, because of Martinez, even if they don't play terribly fast. Having said that, this is kind of one of those, I want to see it to believe it type of things. I don't want to just hammer uh, Kansas State overs either. So Pitt, I do want to bet unders. Uh, Like I said, I'm cautious about the first game. But the next one I have is Washington. Um, You know, Washington, the Huskies with Kalen DeBoer, Fresno State was 56th in tempo last year, which is actually a little bit slower than I expected them to be uh, going into the season. Now, to be fair, they were winning a lot of their games, and then they slowed down their pace in the fourth quarter. So a game state definitely matters as far as, you know, if you're in a neutral game state, I think they would have played quicker than that. Um, Washington, everything went wrong that could have possibly went wrong for Washington last year. I mean, you couldn't have had a worse season than they did. Uh, Lake didn't work out. You know, we had all kinds of incidents on and off the field. Washington, uh, their offense, I mean, they couldn't score against Montana. So their offense is going to be a lot better this year. Uh, Penix Jr., I do have in my notes that I kind of want to see him be good before I am sure that he's going to be very good here. He did have that major injury and he hadn't really looked the same since that major injury. I think that Washington will be much improved on offense. I would expect them to speed up quite a bit. Uh, the defense also is not tremendous. I think that Washington, the great defenses that we saw a few years ago, we're not going to see here still. I would lean to taking overs uh, with Washington this season. I will say 15 plays of 30 yards or more last year is all for Washington. Ugh. I mean, just atrocious. <laughs> Utah State had 43. Washington could only put up 15. Uh, No big play offense. I think that will be quite a bit better. I would look for some overs here with Washington throughout the course of the season. The next one I had was Texas Tech. This one's pretty obvious, and this might have been one that you had in your notes as well. But uh, Kitley uh, comes over. You know, he did a great job last year with Bailey Zappi. Um, You know, high-octane passing game. It's a lot of fun to watch. I'm looking forward to watching Texas Tech this year. The question is, uh, is Tyler Shook or Smith good enough to really really be good in this offense at quarterback? Because there's no Bailey Zappi walking through the door here. Um, Texas Tech is going to play some decent defenses in the Big 12. I think there are better defenses in the Big 12 than there used to be. At the same time, I think uh, overs would be what I'd want to bet here because Texas Tech's defense lost quite a bit. I don't think they'll be a good defense the tricky thing about this is I do think that this one's going to be out there. People know that Texas Tech's going to play fast. There's going to be some really high totals on Texas Tech games. So I'm not sure that there'll be great value betting the overs, but I am sure that it's going to be a big schematic change and something to keep an eye on. And then the last one I had, New Mexico State. So New Mexico State goes from Doug Martin to Jerry Kill. Jerry Kill is going to be a big change from him. I would say that they will be 110th or slower in tempo this year with uh, New Mexico State. Last year, they were 28th. Now, they were 28th partially because they were losing all the time by so much that they had to play fast. 
And if you look at, uh, you know, if they're 110th, maybe they won't finish 110th because they're going to be losing so many games this year, but they will want to play as slow as they possibly can. And it will be a massive change here. Um, he's had many, many quotes, has Jerry Kill, talking about running the football, keeping the defense off the field. Uh, you can't throw the ball when you have uh, next to no quarterbacks. I mean, they, they don't even know what they're going to get out of any quarterback in New Mexico State. Uh, the defensive line is uh, said to be improved for New Mexico State. Uh, this is a team that I would think would be lower scoring than last year. Their games would be lower scoring. Uh, so th this is one I would keep an eye on. And like I said, this is an under-the-radar type team. You know, New Mexico yeah. State's not going to be one that everybody's talking about right away. Now, you know, if they have a really low-scoring game in week zero, then maybe somebody will adjust by quite a bit. But I do think that Jerry Kill is an upgrade as a coach, first of all. And second, I think there'll be lower scoring games there. Yeah, I, 100%. And now that you said those, I actually didn't have a couple of those. The Texas Tech one I did have is the big <laughs> obvious one. I mean, but everyone knows that. Uh, Joey McGuire and head coach and Zach Kitley with the offensive coordinator was actually behind Cliff Kingsbury some of those years at Texas Tech. Um, that, that's a big thing. And obviously coming from Sam Houston to Western Kentucky, now back to Texas Tech, it's just going to uh, – they're lightning speed at Western Kentucky. <laughs> so just remember that. That was an over team all year long. Scores might get back into the 90s here. But you're right, Kyle. I don't know a lot about their defense. They might Their defense might be improved because uh, – you know, the head coach is just that good of a coach, and he knows a lot about Texas and Joey McGuire. So I do wonder about that. Maybe team total overs is what you might look for for Texas Tech. Uh, they, they could be a sneaky good team. I have a couple others as well, Kyle. Uh, TCU is going to play faster, I believe, with Sonny Dykes, uh, a lot faster, I think, because, yeah. you know, SMU ranked last year when, with Dykes. They are 16th in tempo. But if you remember those TCU years where Dykes was there um, as a coordinator, they were uh, high-flying TCU. TCU used to be that big overs team. Like, remember, we were betting back in 14, 15, 16, two, th those years, right? Well, now that's, that should come back to TCU a little bit, a completely rejuvenized team. And if they're good, that means they're going to run up the score. And so they might be a good ATS team to be on, uh, especially against the worst teams, and then possibly even a fade if they're playing really good teams too because they'll just run up the other team's score by keep going three and out so keep that in mind um duke should play a little slower with mike elko he's a defensive mind from uh texas a&m now what i will say kyle is i'm not sure if you turn that horrible defense around this quickly so i am I, i'm still worried that they're going to give up some points but he is at least a defensive mind and duke was eighth in pace last year Similar to New Mexico State, that was a little bit exaggerated because they're trying to get back into games uh, in a lot of cases. So that's an interesting one. I think Oregon's going to play a little slower. I expect uh, the old Georgia defensive coordinator, Danny Lanning, taking over to kind of be more of a defensive mind there. And I think that just uh, Oregon doesn't have the the offense that they have in the past, so he's going to kind of try to be a little bit more th methodical more of that uh, way of thinking. And I also think that Georgia Southern might play faster with Clay Helton because they're an option team. Clay Helton has is a spread offense kind of guy. Not saying that uh, it's going to work, but this is a this could be a fade team because of just the speed that they play. It, some other teams might run up the score pretty bad in Georgia Southern. Any thoughts about those? 
Yeah, Georgia Southern, I would highlight as a team that I want to fade because if you're going in that big of a change and you want to play that fast, it's probably not going to go very well to start with. And that might be one of those teams that you go ahead and take the other side, even if they are a decent size favorite, because like you said, it's going to be easier for them to run up a score or get margin on them because Georgia Southern wants to play so fast, but I don't think they're going to be very good at it to start with. So uh, that, that one stands out to me. And I think TCU is a great one as well. Um, Oregon, I'm not sure about Kiev because Kenny Dillingham has played fast as OC in the past. So does, does Lanning tell him, uh, you know, we're going to play slow, we're going to have these low-scoring games, or uh, is their offensive coordinator going to come in and play quickly like he has before? I think that's one that I'd rather sit and, and wait and see what they do because uh, Dillingham has some pretty good history of playing fast. Lanning, you would think, would want to play lower-scoring games. So I'm not really sure what to think of Oregon. Yeah, and there, is Bo Nix going to start there? Did we find that out yet? Yeah, yeah, the <laughs> Bo Nix experience. Yeah, Bo Nix, I just don't see him as a fast-paced quarterback myself. Um, you know, coming in from Auburn, he didn't do – they weren't exactly a high-paced team there. Um, when they were behind, they kind of had to do a faster offense, but Bo Nix was just, you know, more methodical in my opinion. But, okay, well, you know, we'll get into that a little bit because we're going to cover that game. But let's get in some games here. And uh, week zero, we have Wyoming versus Illinois. Kyle, now Illinois is favored by 11. The total, 44 points. Interesting. What are your thoughts? Kiev, I think you and I might disagree on this game. Usually we agree. So I'm going to side with Illinois on this one. Now, I liked it better at the earlier price, certainly. Um, Wyoming has so much turnover from last year. I think Craig Bowl is a good coach, so I don't usually like to bet against him that much. And this is certainly not a big play for me or anything like that. This is one of those smaller, just to have some action on a game, uh, you know, pizza money bets as Kiev says, but I, I think, uh, you know, Illinois laying the points here is not a bad look. Xavier Valade was Wyoming's second leading rusher all time. Really good, really good running back. Um, they have next to nobody at wide receiver. Um, for Wyoming. Their offensive line's not as good as they have been most years. Uh, Ryan Walters is a really good defensive coordinator for Illinois. I think he really helped them a lot last season. I don't see Wyoming scoring many points here. Uh, Wyoming uh, switches quarterbacks there with uh, Utah State, and I think they probably got the worst end of the trade here. Uh, and Wyoming, you look at their defense. Their defense has usually been good. Chad Mumaw, who was a star at linebacker, now plays for the Jaguars. Uh, I think that's going to be a massive loss for them. They're, they're thin on the defensive line. What does Illinois like to do? Run the football, run the football over and over again. I don't think Wyoming can stop them from running the football here. Chase Brown is an underrated star, very good running back for Illinois. I'm not a huge fan of Brett Bielema. I, I imagine Kiev's not a huge fan of Brett Bielema either, but uh, I, that's, it's a t- coach that I think he, he's a decent coach. Uh, he knows uh, what his team does well. They run the football well. I, I think that they will – consistently do that i'm not sure the illinois passing game is very good and i think that'll be a problem in big 10 play i don't know that they really have to pass the ball here against wyoming very much at all and um you know this is an illinois defense that only gave up 3.78 yards per carry inside the big 10 last year so their run defense was pretty good i don't think wyoming can throw it uh against very many teams this year and uh wyoming running the football probably not too much success so uh, I think that there's a fairly big talent gap in this game. So uh, I would side with Illinois in this game. 
Yeah, you're definitely not going to get too many compliments from me for Brett Bielema. Um, <laughs> and I don't, I don't really understand the whole like he's a good coach thing because my whole thing was that when he w- was moved into Wisconsin's role, the team was created already under Barry, sure. and Barry left kind of like erratically. It was kind of like, oh, he's out. It's like weird. Okay, Bielema will take over. Well, he took over a great roster. And he inherited uh, Russell Wilson. That was pretty nice. Uh, worked out pretty well for him, I, I'd have to say. Um, but in, in the situation, I don't. I haven't seen him build a program. You know, he went to Arkansas to try to fix it, and he, he made the program worse, in my opinion. You know, I didn't. I haven't seen that out of him. Now he's in Illinois. I think this is his second year. Now it's his second or third. Um, no, it's his second year. He did have some really weird, nice wins last year, but he had some really bad losses. I mean, when he went to Virginia, losing by 30 points or something like that, lost at home to Maryland, which was eh, pretty inexcusable. UTSA, he lost by seven. UTSA was a good team. I don't want to hold that against him too much, but, um, this game is more about like why is Illinois laying double digits in this totals forty four points? This is a massive spread for such a low total in this situation. This is saying that Wyoming's not going to score a lot of points. And the funny thing about Wyoming is they lose a lot more defense than they do offense. I know they lost some key guys you said on offense, and they switched their uh, quarterback with this Peasley guy, but. You know, Wyoming's never like dipped into like New Mexico State territory in my power ratings. They've never dipped down to, I guess, Old Dominion, Charlotte, uh, Massachusetts, right? None of those teams. They've always been, you know, six to eight points below the average team. But Illinois never really rose in above one or two positive points, in my opinion. So I, I just feel this spread's way too big for the total. Um, and that's why I took it. Now, do I like it as much as before? No. Maybe Tommy DeVito does come in and look good. But Illinois also replaces three offensive linemen. Maybe DeVito's going to be stuck in the same situation that he was the year before where he doesn't have a good offensive line. So I'm wondering about that. Um, just straight power ratings. My I have Illinois minus five, minus five and a half here. So I thought it when it hit the 10, it was too much. The problem is the fighting Illini another interesting stat they're oh five and one in their last six non-conference games they just haven't played non-conference well over the last couple of years i'm gonna stick with my play kyle but i don't like it as much either <laughs> i think kiev i think our difference here is on wyoming i think we agree on what illinois is i just think wyoming's a lot worse than they have been a lot of these other years so i think that's where our difference is in ratings of these two teams is i think wyoming's going to drop off a lot uh, maybe by the end of the season, Bowl will have coached them up, but I don't like them going into this season. And my number here was 12 and a half. So pretty big difference. Um, you know, I, I don't think Illinois is great by any means, but I think they're really good at one thing, and that's running the football, and I think they'll be able to do it here. Well, if I didn't downgrade Wyoming enough, we're going to find out week zero. Let's move into the next game. North Texas versus UTEP. UTEP plus one, total 55. You know, I'll I'll start on this one. These two teams is kind of teams I actually liked last year. If you remember, New, UTEP was one of my first season win totals that cashed over two and a half for plus money. I thought this was a year, but they had some really good receivers last year, and they lost some of those guys. And so, you know, looking at their advanced stats, some of the stuff was smoke and mirrors that they did when they stepped up in competition. I thought they really did get beat. They got to beat up on some of the worst teams, but you know. North Texas is a fast-paced team. Didn't always put it together in the red zone. I remember some overs I lost on them last year. 
just because you know they played the pace and then they would get to the 35 and then something would happen with them it was very strange while utep is slow in pace they're they're 114th in pace i have in my numbers anyway last year but they're also at home um the home team usually gets the nod in these weird conference usa situations and it's very early but i have north texas as a better team but slightly I have I have it right at the spread. I have North North Texas minus one, so I don't have a play. But I do kind of like North Texas the week after that. So I'm just going to hope for uh, yeah for some line value for week one. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, Kiev, uh, that was a great play on UTEP season win total over last year. Talk about a, a snoozer of a win there, certainly. You know, but I, I'm looking at UTEP's schedule from last year, like you said. I mean, who did they beat that was good? They really didn't beat anybody that was good. They beat the teams they're supposed to beat. When they stepped up in competition, they really weren't very good. You look at UTEP's schedule this year uh, and their roster, a couple things really stand out to me about UTEP. You mentioned UTEP lost a lot on offense. Uh, Cowing was a tremendous receiver. Garrett was also very good. And Hardison, while he's not a bad quarterback, he took a lot of deep shots to Cowing and Garrett and they ended up working. They were third in explosiveness in the country. They had a lot of big negative plays on offense, not a good running team. They were able to get out of that uh, trouble by just chucking it up and getting these deep passes to Cowing and Garrett. Now both of those guys are gone. I really think their their offense is worse than they were last year by quite a bit. Uh, you know, UTEP, what are they on defense is another good question. I think UTEP is very good in run defense. I think they're weak in the secondary this year, so it'll be a split team. Now, you go and look at uh, North Texas. Remember, they started last year, what was it, maybe 1-5 and five or 1-6 and six or something, and everybody said Latrell's going to be gone. Then they run off five wins in a row, make a bowl game. Uh, they come into this season looking pretty good. I like North Texas as a team better than I like UTEP, and if I had to bet this game, I would bet North Texas here. I do think they're the better team. Uh, UTEP being at home, Pretty good home field advantage there in El Paso, a game that's going to get some attention. Uh, made me stay off of this one. Uh, my number here was uh, North Texas minus two. Uh, so we're pretty close here on numbers. Uh, the Mean Green have a really good offensive line. Uh, I think North Texas will usually be able to run on teams. UTEP is a good run defense, like I said, so it's kind of strength on strength. Um, North Texas was plus 23 in sack margin last year. Part of that was because uh, they only gave up 15 sacks. They also had a really good pass rush. But I, I think that uh, North Texas is the team that I would rather back. But to be honest with you, I think they're both pretty well-coached teams. And I'd rather stay away from this one and wait and see. Now, the total is also interesting in this game because, in general, I like North Texas overs and I like UTEP unders. Uh, so we have uh, clashing styles here. If UTEP gets the lead in this game, I think this could be a low-scoring game because they're going to try to burn the clock. Uh, North Texas get it to head. It could be totally different. At the same time, uh, last year they played a, what, 20-17, to 17, I believe, 20-17 final. And, um, yeah, 20-17, to 17, 6.2 uh, yards per play for UTEP, but they did lose. Uh, they lost the turnover battle by one, 5.2 yards per play for North Texas. And uh, Kiev, Austin Ani, the quarterback for North Texas, and he's about to turn 30 years old here before long. So 29 years old starting quarterback in college. You don't see that very often. But <laughs> I think North Texas is a team that I would rather back here throughout the season. 
And uh, I am kind of close to, to betting North Texas. I might even put a little bit of pizza money here on North Texas because that's definitely the side I prefer. All right, let's put some pizza money on because we kind of agree with that. And, yeah, Danny Werfel was the one what made me think of the quarterback that was like uh, 27, 28 years old when he played in college yeah. here. So that's uh, that's very interesting. But, uh, no, I, I'm going to lean very strongly North Texas as well. Let's move on to college football week one. We have some games already we're going to talk about. For next week, these lines are out, so might as well get them while they're hot. Cincinnati versus Arkansas. Arkansas minus six and a half, total 52. Kyle, I'll let you get started on this one. So this is a game, Kiev, going into it. I kind of expected to like Cincinnati. And my number is right about exactly at the number here. But I thought, man, Cincinnati getting a full touchdown. You know, you have to lean toward a really well-coached team getting a full touchdown. I break this game down, and uh, there's, a, there's a lot of interesting things going on in this one. Obviously, both teams lost a bunch. I mean, Cincinnati lost a ton from last year. Arkansas lost Burks, their star receiver. Um, Arkansas on offense is going to be all about the run. K.J. Jefferson was 13th in PFF grade of any Power 5 quarterback last year, but I think the uh, wide receivers at Arkansas are pretty weak now. So the question is, can Arkansas run the football? Well, Alabama just ran it all over Cincinnati, and Cincinnati's run defense is probably worse this year. And you could make an argument that Arkansas has as good an offensive line as does Alabama, because Arkansas is very good on the offensive line. Uh, Their coach, obviously, a good offensive line guy. And, you know, I I think that, uh, you know, this is one where Cincinnati, you have so many changes. Gino Gadulli, the new offensive coordinator there, they're going to run the same type of offense. A weird situation with Ben Bryant, right? He transfers out and then comes back. It's like, hey, actually, I'm coming back, guys. I mean, that, that seems awfully weird to me. You know, I mean, the the teammates kind of like, hey, he's look who's back. You know, I mean, I, I wouldn't be terribly excited about a guy who just left to try to come back and and take the job over again. Um, Cincinnati's running backs are kind of weak with injuries and transfers out being an issue, but their offensive lines, their best unit on either side of the ball at this point. You can't lose. Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant not drop a lot in the secondary. Uh, Arkansas is probably not the team to make them pay on that. But, you know, you look at at, at Arkansas on the other side. uh, Arkansas has a good secondary. Jalen Catalan leads that group. Um, Drew Sanders, a good transfer in from Alabama at linebacker. And then Bumper Pool, what a great name and a great leader at at linebacker. I I have to say Bumper Pool when I talk about Arkansas. It's just uh, so sorry, Kiev, in advance. We talk about Arkansas. I'm saying Bumper Pool. Uh, But but, uh, Arkansas, I, I look at this game more. Like I said, I thought I initially would lean Cincinnati. But I'm concerned here that Arkansas is going to be able to run the football too well. Uh, So can Arkansas kind of just control the line of scrimmage? win this game with their running attack. I would say I probably will not bet this game, but my slight lean now is Arkansas minus the six and a half. It came off the key number seven, obviously. Um, at six and a half, I'll lean Arkansas here. I have no idea what to do with this total either, Kia, because these two teams are a lot different, like I said. Uh, I don't think Cincinnati's defense is as good as they were, but Fickle's a really good defensive mind, and I don't think they'll drop way off. So I'm curious to see your thoughts on this game too. Yeah, it's a great game to watch. But this might be the most interesting game in uh, college football week one. And I say interesting because you have the team that got to the playoffs last year that that uh, they beat Notre Dame, right? They they took care of business, uh, looked great in their championship game. I mean, everyone tried to hate on Cincinnati last year, but they just couldn't because Cincinnati kept proving everybody wrong. And um, 
they had some hiccups. They should have beat Indiana by more. They're actually losing that game for a little while. But when they brought it together, you know, I thought they did a fantastic job. But now you have Desmond Ritter that's out, who's been there forever, and he's uh, going to try and out for uh, Atlanta right now. And everyone's waiting to see if he's going to uh, be a, a starter there, which I kind of predict actually. But um, they also lost some key receivers and some key defense. Evan Prater is their top recruit, the, the biggest recruit they ever had at quarterback. I believe he has four stars, but he's uh, you know being recruited like that and going to a school like Cincinnati really says a lot. Um, Arkansas lost their stud receiver, as we know, Traylon Burks, but they got Jason Hazelwood from Oklahoma, right? Um, they also got a stud linebacker from Alabama and Drew Sanders. They got some pretty good transfers in, so you, you got to look at that. The transfer portal really helped this team. I was back and forth as well, Kyle, on this game. But Cincinnati was third last year in EPA margin, while Arkansas was 39th. Now, it's strength of schedule needs to be factored into that because most of the EPA stats I see, strength of schedule is not factored in yet. So that's that's very important. I will say that the Hogs had some very big plays that went their way last year. So I, there could be some regression. Their quarterback has a ton of leg talent, but... Now with some tape on him, maybe they can be shored up a little bit. I have Arkansas minus 5.25 based upon power ratings and home field advantage. I wouldn't be shocked if Cincinnati keeps this close or backdoors a touchdown here, maybe down by 10, maybe down by 12 points, and they get a, you know something that would actually cover this spread, Kyle. I think you're going to learn a lot about these two teams, and that's yep. going to be worth watching in itself for future betting, right? Absolutely. I think that's the key to this game is we'll learn a lot about both these teams uh, going forward. We'll know a lot more as far as what we might want to bet going forward. Sounds good. Well, Houston versus UTSA and UTSA is plus six. The total on this one is up to 61 and a half. I think it was down a little bit lower. I thought I heard you on a show talking about that maybe a month or so ago. This was this is an interesting game between the Conference USA champion, and like the runner-up to the American Athletic Conference. We just talked about Cincinnati, obviously. UTSA returns a ton of offense. It's pretty much everyone minus Sincere McCormick, right? But they lost a fair amount of defense. Their defense wasn't really their hot spot either. They kind of kept having to prove it and win at the end of the games. I believe Western Kentucky was one of the teams that they had to beat to uh, get in the championship. And um, what I will say is that Houston's kind of the dark horse for everyone in the American athletic, you know, they, they like them more than the favorite Cincinnati. And these guys are almost co-favorites because Houston's very, you know, up there in the numbers, you, you, you only get like maybe two and a half to one or something like that for them to win the AAC. Well, Cincinnati's a little bit lower. So I think that Houston had that massive defense last year. Now they replace a lot of those guys. But Doug Belk was fantastic, and they were ninth in defensive EPA last year. I think that's where they can give UTSA some fits. Let's face it, Conference USA, man, they're probably the worst conference in, in college football. Um, I used to say it was the Sun Belt. Sometimes I used to say it was the MAC, maybe. It is the worst in college football, and UTSA, I guess, is towards the top. But I'm wondering if if they get stuffed against this great Houston defense, 
I see big margin for Houston that could actually happen here. Houston's got to attack this game with uh, a lot of motivation because it's going to set their whole, uh, you know, obviously their year up. And uh, since here McCormick, while he wasn't a high draft pick, Kyle, he was a massive part of this offense. And I am worried about losing that key player. Could be a little bit more of a honeymoon year now that they won Conference USA. We saw that happen to San Jose State when they won it, returned all the guys, and they actually got crushed the next year in the um, Mountain West. So it, it's very possible that they could uh, let down this year. My power ratings are very close to the number, but I actually believe that Houston does pull away due to their strong defense, raking fourth in success rate. <laughs> you know, I, I like Houston. I, I took the minus five and a half. I kind of like them at minus six. And I'm, I endorse that for a few stars. Yeah, for me, um, I wish I bet the over Kiev. You know, this was 59 on August 1st. Uh, let's be honest. Uh, first of all, a lot of people don't like it too much if you bet a game, you know, months in advance. You know, clients they're able to not able to get on that number. They miss out because they bought right before the season. So I, I like to try to wait. And number two, you know, life happens. You finally take a family vacation. You do other stuff, and you're doing baseball. And all, once you come back, and the lines at 61 and a half or 62, kind of a bummer. Uh, it is what it is as far as that. I still would lean to the over. I think that um, you know Houston is a team that uh, Clayton Toon's underrated as a quarterback. He's done really good with Holgerson's offense. Uh, I think that Houston will have success here against the UTSA defense that has got some major concerns, especially at cornerback. Uh, Houston front seven defensively is really good. Uh, their top two corners are gone as well, though. I think Harris and the uh, UTSA offense will have success moving the ball through the air. Um, actually, last year, Harris was really good. I think he's underrated as well. I do agree with you that Conference USA is the weakest. Um, I would say the MAC is the second weakest now. Sunbelt has gotten a lot better here in the last few seasons. Uh, as far as this game, you know, I, it's hard for me to bet this one. I will say Houston was 18th in offensive explosiveness last year, 22nd in passing play success rate. Tank Dell is a beast. Uh, no one from UTSA can defend him. I, I think that mm -hmm. Houston will move the ball easily through the air. I do think UTSA can move the ball quite a bit through the air as well. So, again, I still lean the over. Uh, this game means a lot to U UTSA. They're kind of seen as a little brother down there. So they will be motivated for this game, certainly. Uh, and, and the Alamo Dome is a tremendous home field advantage, no doubt about that. Houston's the better team. Um, I don't want to bet the side. I still, I still lean the over here for me. All right, lean the over. I looked at the over, and I kind of got priced out of it too, Kyle. I thought that – there's just a chance that Houston's defense could be that good and maybe win this going away, and that's why I went to the spread instead. So I guess when I look at my fear on the over, that's what it is. So that kind of helped me push me towards the side itself. But a team total is not a terrible look either. I think Houston's going to get their points. The question is, can UTSA kind of keep up with them coming into this game? Wait till those team totals come out, guys. Utah versus Florida. Florida plus two. Total is at 51. Now, Kyle, this line stinks, man. It, it, it smells. And I'm going to, I have a play on this one. A little concerned about it, but I'm going to see if you have anything for this great game. This can be a fantastic game to watch. Yeah, I mean, um, sporting the Utes hat today and, and, and the Oddsbreaker shirt, by the way. So uh, the Oddsbreaker shirt with the, with the Utes hat. Um, I, <laughs> 
I like Utah as a team. I like Kyle Whittingham. I think he's a tremendous coach. Um, somehow still underrated by a lot of people. You know, ATS wise, I think he's uh, 56 or 57 percent ATS in his career. So if you just bet on his teams every single game, you've made a lot of money. Um, Napier's a good coach. I think that he'll do a good job with Florida. There is no doubt that this is a tricky game because Florida has a ton of talent. If you just look at number of recruits brought in, Florida would have higher recruiting ranking than does Utah. But Florida has a lot more turnover. They have a new system. Uh, you know, Whittingham coached teams. I thought this was a kind of interesting stat. Whittingham coached teams either as a dog or favored by less than a touchdown are 60 and 43 against the spread since 2008. They're seven and one against the spread in the last eight. Uh, you know, this is a coach that's done a good job having his team ready to go. They have a top six or eight offensive line in the country. Their defensive line is always amazing. We know Utah is well known for their defensive lines. I don't think Florida is going to have a ton of success running the football. And do I really trust the Florida offense to throw the ball on Utah? I mean, Utah's secondary is not very good compared to their front front seven. But I think it was a little unfair that people say, well, Utah's secondary is terrible. Remember what Ohio State did last year. They had guys that were backup running backs playing cornerback because they were so thin on depth. Uh, they're definitely better than that in the secondary. And, I mean, Florida's not exactly Ohio State throwing the ball around. So, you know, this is a Florida team that I think is going to be built around the run. Richardson, probably a good fit at quarterback for this offense. However, he definitely needs to cut down on his uh, turnover uh Turnover-worthy plays have been way too often. I mean, that, that's going to be an issue if he keeps turning the ball over so much. Even after those big plays, they get good field position. He gives it to the other team. Now, Florida's defensive line allowed four and a half yards per carry last year. I think Patrick Tony is a good defensive coordinator. They will improve upon that this year. Cam Rising's a really good quarterback for Utah. They were much better when he came in there. I think that this line does stink. I, I agree with Kiev on this. I'm going to lean Utah in this one. I have not bet this game. I'm not sure I will bet this game, but I trust Whittingham to have his team ready. Uh, I think this is a really big game for both teams, obviously. And uh, Utah with the veteran program, uh, really good coach, not much turnover. I'll take the Utes here. All right. You know, it, the Florida did well in the swamp, especially in the beginning, right? They, they, gave Alabama a run for they should have beat Alabama they lost by two points right at home then they beat Tennessee by like 14 points and Tennessee was an up-and-coming team last year if you remember their first game was against FAU and they won by double digits and then you know all of a sudden they you know they get Vanderbilt win 42 to nothing they have that kick up before that at Kentucky but all their bad losses was away at, at LSU they lost you know 42 49 then the Georgia game was on that neutral field in Jacksonville 34 to 7 then at South Carolina 40 to 17 and then everyone's saying that they possibly gave up they play Stan Samford and they're losing to Samford at home and then they end up catching up in the second half 70 to 52 against Samford it was just very strange Dan Mullen lost the team and then they lost at Missouri after that and then everyone said they gave up everyone bet Florida State and uh, they ended up beating Florida State at home and they lost to UCF without a lot of players in that bowl game it was really a weird embarrassing year but they're still a good home team and that's why this line stinks is because they look at Utah away from home because Utah is such a great home team themselves and they look at Florida and they're also looking at the strength of the SEC in general 
But there's a couple things like you mentioned. Um, yeah, Utah didn't have their cornerbacks when they played uh, Ohio State, and they looked terrible. But in my opinion, that just motivates their defense This in this situation. I think they come up. Billy Napier, great coach, amazing at Louisiana. We won a lot of money. He's got the perfect quarterback for a system in Anthony Richardson, who's big, can run the ball, get those couple extra yards. But, I mean, Utah's no slouch on defense. They've always been strong on defense, and they, they, they stand up to it. How can you bet Florida with Billy Napier the first year on the first program in the first week? It just makes no sense to me. Going against a team that has national championship aspirations went toe to toe with Ohio State at least for most of that game. That was a fun game, and the biggest thing for me is a big intangible part that these kids are lost, kind of in a way that USC and UCLA is leaving the Pac-12, going to the Big Ten. Obviously, Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC. It's almost like this game they need to just kick the butt out of the SEC. They need to show that hey look we're we're deserving to go to the sec or big 10 or wherever and wherever we want i think i think that's going to be an intangible factor in these kids mind they just saw usc and ucla leave they're the champions what is going on here i almost like that motivational aspect of it from an intangible spot i laid the minus two and i made a pretty sizable play for an early play kyle all right, I like it. Uh, we we agree on this one. Uh, I think Utah is just the team that we we know what we're going to get out of Utah, in my opinion. You know, obviously anything can happen in one game, but Utah is the known commodity here. Florida is too big of an unknown to bet them here in game one. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to the final game, maybe the best game week one, Oregon versus Georgia. Well, 17-point favorite, probably not, but <laughs> look at Ohio State against Notre Dame. That's like a 15-and-a-half-point favorite anyway. Now, I have a play in this game, too. But what I want to say, this kind of goes back to what I said about change of pace. Now, you disagreed a little bit with it. But I did look up here uh, about Kenny Dillingham. When he was the offensive coordinator of Florida State, they scored 25 points a game. You know, it's not like his philosophies did much. And it came to the part where they were embarrassed in a way and had to slow it down some. So I almost think that Dan Lanning will you know, kind of keep him in check. He knows the plays, but I think they're going to work together. But here's the thing. You're going to play fast against Georgia. In that situation, it's just going to show for a blowout and really start you off on a bad foot. Nobody knows the offense better than Kirby Smart. But if anyone's close, it's the defensive coordinator last year, Dan Lanning. And Dan Lanning goes to Oregon he's going to kind of know what to expect. Now, Georgia's got a lot of turnover, too. I trust Georgia's defense. Georgia def- Georgia's defense wants to shut their old coach out. These kids want to. They- these kids don't want Oregon to score. That just might happen. But at the same time, this coach knows exactly what Georgia can do and all of their strengths and weaknesses on offense. I like the under. I played under 52. I just see lots of ways it can happen. I can see Georgia winning 30-3. to You know, I I can see just a methodical, terrible uh, first half going back and forth. Great coaching matchup. Nothing gets by. We have to remember that Oregon also uh, is a top four-star, five-star recruiting type team. And they do return some defense as well. So I I think there's just too many ways the under can hit. I, I hit under 52, Kyle. 
Yeah, I can't, I can't disagree with that. That would certainly be my lean on a total in this game is the under. Um, Bo Nix, you know, uh, that's, that's going to be the experience going on again here. I will say, I don't think Anthony Brown was very good for Oregon. So I, I think Nix might be a bit better than him. At least good Bo Nix is better than him. But yeah. uh, we've seen that Bo Nix can be really bad at times too. Um, Tosh Lupoi comes in as a defensive coordinator and obviously Lanning's a really good defensive mind. I think Lupoi will do a good job. Um, Dillingham has played fast in some of the years. They weren't very efficient on offense. So, uh, I, I don't know. I agree with you that it wouldn't make too much sense for them to try to play really fast in this game because it just gives, makes it easier for Georgia to get margin. Um, you know, I, I do want to say, Georgia had an amazing season last year. They were a really fun defense to watch. I do hear some people saying, well, Georgia recruits so well that they're not even down. I, I, you know, it's really hard to say that Georgia's not going to be down from last year. <laughs> I mean, they had Jordan Davis, people like that, roaming all over the place. They're, they're going to be down some from last year. So we, we can't make it sound like they're not going to be any worse than last year. But their defense is going to be very good. Their secondary with Ringo leading the way, very good. Georgia was 10-5 and five against the spread last year and they won the national championship. It's going to be hard to find value betting Georgia uh, after that kind of season. And and I don't want to, you know, diss Stetson Bennett or anything, but Stetson Bennett's still only a pretty good quarterback. You know, he had a good championship game. I like Stetson Bennett. Uh, you know, this is a, a guy that I like to root for, but he is still somewhat limited. You know, he's not a great quarterback by any means. And you look at what's around him now compared to last year, Kiev. Mm -hmm. They had two star running backs. They're both gone. Now, are they deep enough to still be pretty good at running back? Yeah, but instead of having a top two or three running back unit in the country, maybe they're top 20, and that's a pretty big difference. And then you lose uh, the wide receivers, uh, Pickens, uh, Burton. You know, these are these are guys from uh, Georgia that are going to be massive losses on offense. I don't think Georgia's offense is as good as they were last year. Now, Bowers is tremendous, obviously, and he'll be the go-to guy. But I think that in general – Oregon's defense is probably better than most people would give them credit for being. Everybody knows they lost Thibodeau, but their defense is still going to be a good defense. They are, they're coached by a defensive guy. The question is, how high is Oregon's ceiling? I don't know that Oregon can actually beat a team like Georgia. I don't even think their very best can beat Georgia. Now, 17 and a half points is too much for me. There's no way I'm laying the points with Georgia here. So my lean on a side is Oregon. But I kind of lean that way because of what you said. I do think this will probably be a lower scoring game. 17 and a half points is a ton of points for a total of 52, especially if you actually think the game might be played in the 40s or something. So I'm going to lean Oregon and the under in this one. All right, Oregon and under. Yeah, a lot of points in this one. Oregon did do well against Ohio State last year in that early game. I think it was the was that first or second game? It was second. It was the second. Okay, so it was uh, so the, you know something to think about, but different coach still different mindsets um and you have consistency at georgia but you know these two guys kind of going at it feels like more of a chess match than more of like a free-for-all types of situation so um i'm excited for the game i think this under goes down too so we'll see where this thing goes from the 52 kyle thank you so much for coming in and breaking down these big games i'm so excited for some college football my man where could our listeners and viewers get your great information and plays yeah, thanks for having me again, Kiev. Always fun. Go to huntersportspicks.com. You can sign up for the free picks newsletter there. 58% uh, wins in the last 205 free plays. So that's gone really well. And um, looking forward to uh, you know the, the season ahead and the free plays that we'll have throughout the course of the season. 
Um, also, the early bird specials up there. Like I said, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Hunter Picks. Uh, follow along this year, and let's hope we can have another great ride here for college football. All right, let's do it. And Jeffy just chimed in. Can't wait to see Bama and Texas A&M. All okay. right, it sounds like a SEC fan chiming in. That's it. Yeah, I love it. Bama's going to want some revenge. That's going to be a wonderful game as well. Very excited for college football. Thanks again, Kyle. We'll be chatting soon. Thanks. Take care. All right, my friends. Well, it's, it's a long show for a huge weekend. I hope you got a lot out of it. If you have any questions for this show, feel free to tweet us at the Ozbreakers. If you have any questions for next Monday and want us to break down a game, email us at info at theozbreakers.com. Everyone enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy the big games. We'll see you at the Circa. And go get some winners.